1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind the things that should not be done. And here's that list. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. So it's not only something that they do, but they engage in this as a spectator sport almost. What a powerful list here that he gives. It, 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 if, if you are honest with yourself, you can find yourself in this list. Oh, yeah. Easily. I tried. It was hard. It was hard? <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes Let's the see. That's out of the arrogant part. That would be... You were, you, were, you were in chapter two, right? I'm in chapter one, right? Oh, see, I was oh, well, verse oh. 29. I'm in chapter two. I'm in chapter one, verse uh -huh. 28. Slanderers, God-haters, you know, we could go through and we could try to pick on people about these things. That's not the point. But I do find it helpful to think about where in my life have I been covetous? Have I shown malice? Well, disobedient, probably. We were all guilty, maybe. Oh, to, to dis parents. disobedient to parents? to parents? Oh, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, that, there exactly. you go. That's a given. That's <laughs> a given. Some worse than others. Envy? I have envied. Mm -hmm. I've never murdered someone, but I've thought about it. <laughs> strife? I've engaged in strife. Sometimes willfully. Sometimes not really knowing what I was doing, being a stupid idiot. Deceit? Deceitful? Mm. Mm. Crafty? Now, I can be crafty about my deceit. Mm -hmm. Gossip? Oh, boy, that just slams just about every, every other member of the church, if not more. Slanderers? Yep. God-haters? Now, that one there, you know, you, it might tempt you to say, Oh, no, that's not me. Well... When we set up something other than God as our God, let us say we worship sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, by, you know, where do we spend our time and where do we spend our money? If we're doing that, then in a sense we are hating God because we're disregarding God. We're ignoring God. We're not, we're not doing our best to follow God's will. So, in a sense, God-hater doesn't necessarily have to be a strongly negative concept. However, it literally does mean one who, hate, one who hates God, theos tuges, which is one word in Greek, uh, hateful towards God. God-hater is one word. We have to use a hyphen there to get it. 
insolent. Oh, yeah. It's coming from us to God. Us towards God. Because mm-hmm. there's a couple of translations that actually make it quite ambiguous. Moffat says, loathed by God. Ooh. That's the opposite. Yeah, that's the opposite. Yeah. And then Alf, I'm not sure who that is, hated of God. Again, well, that's, that's a different direction. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, isn't that weird? That, yeah, the word They're itself all. is not ambiguous. <laughs> it means the, uh, the word specifically oh. cannot mean that. <laughs> I don't see how they get that one. Theostuges, it, it literally means, it's one word and it means to loathe God, to disrespect God, to deny God. Insolent, haughty, <laughs> boastful. Wow, I, well, I watch clergy do that all the time at clergy <laughs> gatherings. Inventors of evil. Rebellious towards parents, as we said, that gets us. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We've talked about faithless already, what that might mean uh, outside the covenant. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So after having detailed idolatry, its penalty, its outcome, and having cataloged this list, which quite frankly hits anybody who reads it somewhere, square between the eyes, and having heard the judgment, they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but even applaud others, those who practice them. Yeah, my translation says to approve of those who practice them. Approve. But then in the down in the commentary it says applaud because that's the worst sin. Ah. The worst sin of applauding. What I what I was wondering is could that also mean that they encourage others to do the same thing? It it means to celebrate or laud. Celebrate or laud. That would be to encourage. But they're doing it and you're sitting there approving of it, celebrating it, enjoying it, getting vicarious sin by observing it. Not that kind. No, not, not that. I'm saying more like Hey, look at that boaster. That's cool. Or look at that. Look how deceitful she was. She was brilliant. She got away with that. Or he he was crafty in his deceit and dishonor in uh, like Enron. And, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. Let's bail him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he's cataloged this list. We've got it here. If you've read it with any degree of openness and reality and self-criticalness, you know that you sit in there somewhere. Therefore, remember chapters and verses were not, Paul didn't say time to start chapter 2 now and go to a different subject. This easily follows along. You could not even, you could even go without a chapter break here. Therefore, you have no 
excuse. <laughs> I'm already feeling, you know, like I need to slide under the table here and hide, Paul. You have to come right out and say it. Therefore, you have no excuse. Whoever you are, when you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accord with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hand and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For he will repay according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth, but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, <coughs> the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. All right, let's stop there. Man, after trudging through about seven and nine verses or thereabouts for three weeks, we cover 11 verses in a few minutes. But it's a very powerful paragraph. It's also... Um, one of those paragraphs where you are a little bit taken aback by the harshness of some of what Paul says, by the straightforwardness that's here. Any questions about it before we look at some specifics? Well, before you got to chapter 2, I was thinking you already said we're all guilty of most of these things. If he hasn't die. yet, he has not yet said it in chapter one. Except he says you deserve to die. You didn't follow edict. You didn't follow righteous. Uh, you know. You know what you're think about. You think, to die. Even God's chosen children, the Israelites, even the Jews, they they have the covenant. They entered into this covenant relationship on purpose. Eyes wide open, saying, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this people, before the breath was even out of their lips in many cases, were already choosing other gods, choosing to follow the practices 
of people who follow other gods, not doing what God says, not living the kind of life God calls them to live, not expressing as the light, the city on the hill, the light to the nations, not expressing the love of God offered in covenant relationship. Instead, they held it to themselves and secreted it away and only let people in if they came in, you know, asked. They didn't offer. The Judaism prior to Christianity was never a proselytizing religion. Still isn't. Not really. <laughs> there are some examples where they tried, but for the most part, none. none. It's, it, they, in that sense, they're not interested in offering the way to others. If others come, they're not going to keep them away. That cleaver they swing around. Uh, <laughs> as long as they follow the rules. <laughs> is rather intimidating. But for the most part, they, they were willing to let people in. But they weren't interested in sharing it with others. They hid it. They, they didn't share it with others. They didn't follow the calling that God had for them. They were not. They were God's chosen people. And they didn't do anything with it. Or when they did something with it, it was almost as if God had to drag them kicking and screaming into doing it. So they begin with idolatry of many different kinds. Even after the covenant relationship is fully established. They continue to engage in the idolatry. Repeatedly, over and over and over and over again. And when you look at God's punishment for the Israelites, for the northern kingdom, for the southern kingdom, it is continually because they would import the religious practices of other peoples and either try to marry them with Yahweh worship or set Yahweh worship aside and do Yahweh worship and or completely throw Yahweh worship out the window and go and worship the Asherahs and the gods of the other, of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Perizzites and whatever other ites you want to think of. They, they, they loved, they, they gauged in it frequently. It was a continual problem and that is part of what's being talked about here. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. <laughs> yeah, the Greeks worship other gods. Frankly, so do the Jews. <laughs> so, so, the doesn't show, the last thing you read says, for God does not show favoritism. And then down my little commentary, so the basic, a basic feature of teaching of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, I'm going, yeah. Looks like there's a little bit of favoritism in the Old Testament to me. Mm -hmm. there, is, it, there is a sense in which there is a favoritism in the Old Testament. It's a favoritism towards God's, God's will, towards God's choice, towards God's desire or interest or what God thinks is important, i.e. God's chosen people. There you go. Chosen. God has decided to do things a certain way. And God's going to show favoritism towards God's self. You better believe it. But if you're willing to do what God says, then fine. If you're not, it doesn't matter if you're a member of God's people. You still get smacked. You do, but you get several chances if you're a member of God's people. So, do some people, so do some people who aren't members of God's people get multiple chances. 
sometimes uh, they don't either. Look at Cora. True. And sometimes God's God's children didn't get multiple chances. Touch the ark once. Zap, you're dead. Touch, try to keep the ark from tipping over. Zap, you're dead. That's fair. I think you were, you were very profound when you said that it, you know God favors himself. God favors his own will. And so whether you were chosen to be a group of people who had insight into God's will and should have been an oracle and a representative of God, or whether you were somebody completely outside of that group of people, you know, he treated them the same in that if it was within his will, you were beneficiaries of his yep. great and of his you love. Can, I, you were against his will, there were punishments. There are examples of that throughout scripture of non, non-Hebrew people. How many, though? Quite a few. Well, I mean, as far as the whole population goes, how many people? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> was there a blinking sign? It was I think it was about 75%. <laughs> <laughs> 1, 1,305. Well, think about it. When you think about a, one, an example of a non-Hebrew, Job. Yeah. Job wasn't Hebrew. I was thinking of Ruth and all those people. Not Hebrew. What's Naomi? Uh, remember? What about Jonah? Now, Jonah was Hebrew, but he was sent to Nineveh to proclaim to them wrath and whatnot. And he go, runs away, gets swallowed by a fish, suborbital barfed to the shores of Nineveh, gets out, pushes the guts off, the juice off, and goes in and goes from one side of the city to the other and preaches. Then he comes out and sits down and gets his bowl of popcorn and is ready to watch as God smites the city. And the people don't do what he expects. He expects them to ignore him. But no, they hear, they heed, they repent. And then God doesn't smack them and he gets mad. (laughs) They did what they were told to do. And God doesn't smite them. God didn't show partiality in that case. You know, God didn't preference Jonah in his desire for a, you know, a show. <laughs> Instead, he, God, did what God said God was going to do. You repent of your ways. I won't smite you. God, the statement that God shows no partiality is true in the sense that God's partiality is for God's will. God's partiality is for Jesus in the new covenant. And therefore, everything orients itself that way. And since God's partiality is for Jesus, you can be a Jew or a Greek and it don't matter. You accept Jesus Christ, you live according to God's grace, you live by faith, and you're going to be okay. But you could be a Jew with a fantastic pedigree and try to save yourself by doing good works and if you fail once, you're toast. Since he's comparing in a couple other cases in these verses, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, he's brought <laughs> that up multiple times. And the common um, ideology of the time would have been that the Jews were the preferential people elevated. It makes sense that he would put it in here, maybe even more so directing it to you know whether you're a Jew or, or a Gentile. There is no partiality with God in terms of how he's going to treat you. He's kind of focusing in on the, the mindset of the day. The idea is whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, 
Salvation <coughs> is the same. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now you can be a Jewish Christian, perfectly fine with that. Live your Jewish cultural traditions. There's nothing wrong with that. So long as you understand and live and, and practice the truth that, and proclaim the truth that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by keeping or doing the works of the law. And that's true for both Jewish Christian and for Gentile Christian. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. When you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, you the judge, are doing the very same things. So that's where what I was saying before we hit the end of chapter 1. And I'm saying if you're reading this honestly, you're going to find yourself in there at least some place, if not many, many times. <laughs> then you turn to the next chapter. He didn't stop. He, was, he just was going on. And Tertius is writing it down. Paul, keep on going. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are. He didn't say, okay, you have an excuse and you have an excuse because you're not doing it. No. You have no excuse, whoever you are. His honesty says everybody does at least something in this list. No one's perfect. No, not one. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. That word judge, judge others. Anybody have a different translation for it? Pass huh? You say pass judgment? Yeah, when you pass judgment. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. And they, they say it twice. They say it at the beginning, and then they come back and say, you who pass judgment, uh -huh. do the same thing. Got to make sure you don't miss it. Don't miss it, right. Pass judgment. The word is used multiple times. This one says, for whatever point you condemn others, you automatically condemn yourself. Which translation is that? Um, P-H-I. Huh? I don't P-H-I? Phillips? The New Testament is modern <coughs> English by J.B. Phillips. Yeah, Phillips, P-H-I. Con condemn others. The word is crema. It's crema. It's a very important word in standard secular Greek as well as in religious Greek, both the Old Testament Septuagint Greek and in the New Testament. It occurs many times. There are two formations for the word krima. Krima, krima and kritakama. You stick kata in front of a word, it intensifies it to the ultimate extreme. In this case, makes krima absolute. Krima and katakrima. Katakrima. Krima means woodly judgment or to judge. Krim, no. Krim, nas. A judge or one who judges. Used in Old Testament for dispute and lawsuit. 
It's a decision or a decree. Judging judgment, the act, act or function of a judge in the juridical sense, both in and outside of the scriptures. Judicial verdict, same thing. Utilized extensively in both church literature and in secular literature. Has that juridical concept. Distinction, judge, condemnation is the result. And there are two forms, crima, which is often simply temporal, temporary, minor, can be from the slap on a wrist to jail for life, but that's still temporary. And then katakrima, which is ultimate. So you've got ultimate judgment or ultimate condemnation, and you've got judgment or condemnation. When Paul uses this, he's usually focusing in on things like eternal damnation. When he uses this, he more frequently is talking about judgment in this life. Judgment here. In the out outcome and in, in a impact and effect on your life here. And what we have here is crema. Therefore, you have no excuse whoever you are when you judge others. When you engage in determining the good or badness of another. That's one way you might even say it. For in passing such judgments on someone, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. It's not even talking about, it's not talking about when you judge someone eternally. It's even, it's, 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 this is even harder still. He's not saying don't pass eternal judgments on people. I wish that's what he were saying, but he's not. So you can pass eternal judgments on people? No, he's not saying that. <laughs> no, it's, it's the opposite of that, actually. He's saying pass judgment on people. I've heard this eternal. used often to say don't, you know, don't pass eternal judgment on people. You know, claim that they're going to go to hell. Well, yeah, you shouldn't do that because even more minor judgment is barred. To make a determination of the, that someone else is sinning is problematic if you yourself are a sinner. And I'm better than they are because look at what they're doing. It's a relative situation, yeah. What? There's other passages that say that you should point out um, to a brethren when... When there is a, a recognition that we are sisters and brothers in Christ, all we like sheep have gone astray... We all need Christ Jesus. We all are fallen sinners in need of God's grace. And I, as a fallen sinner, see something that you're doing, and it's a problem, and, and I want to help you in this because you've helped me in the past, and we all stand in before Christ Jesus. And it's not because I'm someone better than you, and therefore I've got to beat on you and make you behave, but instead it's a common recognition. That's usually the context in the way in which that's articulated. Whereas what's coming out here is using this judicial language. It's more of you are a, you are a fallen sinner. Who are you to therefore point the judicial finger and say you're going to go to hell? You 
you know, it, 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 just because he doesn't use katakrama here doesn't mean it's okay to use it <laughs> to make it such judgments. It, it's in fact the bar is set a heck of a lot lower in that sense. You 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 can't you can't even pass temporary judgments on people. Okay, help me, help That's me. no fun. <laughs> what the heck? Help me out with this uh, interpret with this commentary. All right. Um, what they say is Paul's teaching about judgment agrees with that of Jesus. Okay. See on the mount, you know, seven right. one. It does. Who did not Matthew seven one? Who did not condemn judging as such, but hypocritical judging? Yeah. So you because can judge, you just can't be hypocritical about it. And as I just as I said earlier, what makes it non-hypocritical judgment is the realization that I'm just as guilty as Carol is. Well, what he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he might be more guilty. <laughs> well, that's that's but that's the yeah, idea. Yeah. Whereas instead of me saying I'm perfect, I have no sin, I haven't done any of these things, therefore I'm qualified to smack you up. No. Uh-uh. That's the hypocritical judging. And even if you're not making eternal pronouncements of someone's state, it's wrong. It seems consistent that he's uh, talking about maybe also the condition in which they were living where the Jewish or even the tendency maybe of the Jewish Christian would be very judgmental and selective in them being right and others being wrong. And I can see how that would be a great application for us today because I think it, it takes a lot of um, inward um, looking to say, just because I'm a Christian and that person might be a Muslim, to think that, you know, not to judge their faith as being in, inferior or anybody else's just because they don't subscribe to everything that you subscribe to. Mm -hmm. You know, and don't elevate yourself as if you can judge them in in a way that's not intended for us to do. We don't know the degree of light which God has given them and what they have not had. Right. If all they have about Jesus is what is written in the Quran, then I don't blame them for not wanting to follow Jesus. Because he's a rather weak kneed fool as depicted in the Quran. And then they haven't heard about Jesus as the Jesus of the Gospels, then I'm not surprised they don't accept him. And most Muslims have not heard Jesus of the Gospel. What does Sammy say about the Muslims? Called Jesus a liar and yeah. a murderer or something? No, well, they said, she said they believe that he's a liar. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I thought murderer too, or something worse, something worse than liar. There's there's a whole lot of things that the Quran says about Jesus, and if that's all I had to go on, I wouldn't want to be a Christian either. So I mean, and there are most I'm sorry, but in the far Middle East, in those Arab countries where you can't get a Bible because they don't exist because they've all been burned, uh, yeah, they have not heard the gospel, not not really, and therefore I can understand God. And God's judgment, God's judgment, uh, being based upon standards other than what we would think. God's going to judge them based on the light they have received. Now, let's 
you, you say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge uh, those who do s such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? It's the hypocritical judgment issue. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? As John did, you see. Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's not to let you do whatever you please. Yeah, it's not license for... Uh-huh. And if that's true for you, what about them? Those whom you're judging from your quote-unquote superior position. We hear the church do that all the time. They don't read their own Bible. Of course, we don't either. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why we're here. <laughs> but by your hard and impenitent heart. Anybody, what different language in verse 5 do you have? By your hard and impenitent heart. What does yours have? Hardness and your impenitent heart. Hardness and impenitent heart. Oh, I got stubbornness. Stubbornness and, and unrepentant. And unrepentant. You probably have five paragraphs. What do you have in the living? Stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. Stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. That's uh, yeah, that's quite good. All right. Uh, any other interestings uh, on verse five? By your hard and impenitent heart. In other words, you're refusing to recognize that you yourself are a sinner. Because you refuse to recognize that, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. You're doing it to yourself, friend. Um, we had a uh, I was involved in a worship service once and we sang Amazing Grace and the fellow came up to me afterwards and said, I don't like that song. I says, why not? And he says, because it talks about saving a wretch like me and I don't like to think of myself as a wretch. <laughs> and I said, well, why? And he says, because I've been told that by too many people who are shaking their finger at me. I said, they're just as much wretches as they claim you are. <laughs> and the good news is that God's grace overcomes all of that. And there's no reason to dislike that proclamation. The guy who wrote it was a slaver. <laughs> who recognized what a wretch he was and what God's grace did for him. And when you're impenitent, you're unwilling to recognize your need of grace, all you're doing is storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is one of those interesting sections of references where after telling people don't judge, don't make ultimate judgments or regular judgments, he then says God is the judge. For he, God, will repay according to each one's deeds. <clears throat> now this one here gives some people trouble because they think that's talking about good works. MacArthur has a note that says salvation is not on the basis of works, 
but God's judgment is always on the basis of a man's deeds. What is um, the difference between deed and, and, and good works? Good works can only come through God's spirit working through a person. Deeds are done by us. And I think in this particular case, he's talking about the people who are relying on their own goodness. Thank you. Therefore, they're going to be judged by that, which is not under Precisely. Grace. Precisely. To those who by patiently, that's a hard part right there, patiently, doing good. You get weary in well-doing, don't you? It gets tiring to keep doing it. You ever lived in a community where they're all super like like a lot of churches, <laughs> not necessarily like this one, but like no 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 not like this one. It's it's hard to live with those people. <laughs> then get out. That's what he did. That's yeah, that's what he did. I know. <laughs> uh, to those who, by patiently doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. See, I have a problem with with that phrase. How that how that comes out. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. That sounds like. I'm seeking glory and honor and immortality. Okay, then let's think about it slightly differently. You're seeking God's glory to transform you into the honor that God has for you and the immortality which is the result. Not yeah. your glory, not your honor. Does the Greek have anything in there that would specify whose yeah. glory? The, the word is simply doxa, doxon. And... Uh, it, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't provide for any any modification. I just threw an interpretation in there. Yes, you did. <laughs> I think that, I think it would have been nice if he had written it that way. Yeah, it <laughs> would have been. Might have understood it. it a little better. The whole section here lends no. itself towards people who want to do works righteousness. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I don't think Paul even intended that, but it can. If you read this separate from everything else Paul wrote. That's what you get. But if you read this thinking about Paul's and what Paul writes elsewhere in Romans, or what writes in, Paul writes in Galatians and in the Corinthian letters and all, it becomes clear that's not what he's saying. To those who by patiently doing good, good, and I would say patiently doing good is a good way of defining acts of faith. Faithing is patiently doing good. Seek, and when you faith, God's glory transforms you into the honor God has for you, and that brings immortality. So he, the pro problem huh? that I have uh -huh. is the purpose for patiently doing good, that I'm seeking for glory. For those who, by patiently doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality. How does the Living Bible render <laughs> verse <laughs> 7? I want to hear what they say. Verse 7. He will give eternal life to those who patiently do the will of God, seeking for the unseen glory and honor and eternal life that he offers. Okay. That's not bad at all, but it's almost what I, that's almost exactly. the, the, the spin I gave it. <laughs> but, but 
It's not what it says. <laughs> to those, unto those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor well, and immortality, eternal life. If you use Paul's definition of understanding of what all those words mean, right. you're right in terms of you come to only one conclusion, which is what he meant. Uh -huh. But if you don't have, if you take a secular look at what well-doing and sure. seeking for glory and honor, you can interpret it differently. You, hear, you hear the message of James. Because you think, yeah, well-doing or good works is something that you're able to do. James would have loved those. that. Oh, yeah. James yeah. would have loved the bare-bones reading of that. Yeah. Not, not that wonderful interpretation, nor <laughs> mine. interpretation that I gave it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. While those, while, let's read the verse 8. While for those who are self-seeking, okay, now, you know, underline, highlight, star that puppy right there. Where, 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 what, what is verse eight. 8. Okay. <clears throat> While for those who are selfishly ambitious. <laughs> those who rebel against God's plan of life. <laughs> so what it says there? <laughs> While for those who are self-seeking, selfishly ambitious... And who obey not the truth. What's the truth? The truth was proclaimed back here in chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who fades. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Verse 7 is impossible without faith. In fact, as I said, it is indicative of faithing, is what this is. That's, uh, that, that's exactly the interpretation. This, in the comments, uh -huh. Paul is not contradicting his continual emphasis, emphasis in all of his writings, including Roman, that people are not saved by what they do, but by faith in what Christ has done for them. Paul is referring to persistence in doing good as a proof of the genuine faith. Because the concept is good works flow from faith. If it's truly, when Paul says that we are created for good works, that means we are created to live by faith, and then God, through our faith, does good works. Not we do good works in order to show how wonderful we are and to save ourselves. Nuh-uh. And not that horrible Jamesian statement, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. <laughs> Self-righteous prig. <laughs> for a while, for those who are self-seeking. He may have been thinking about James when he wrote something. You know what? That's a distinct possibility that he was thinking about James at this point. Because the letter, other, you know, the letter of James was probably written by this point in time. There's one interesting speculation. The letter of James was written in response to the letter of the Galatians. Hmm. Which means that it came, the letter of James would have come between Galatians and Romans, which is a distinct possibility. Yeah, but James, too, was very specific in who he was talking to. Well, it was only the 12 tribes. Which yeah, but everybody, <laughs> but, everybody know, got but everybody got it. But they just wanted to know what was being sent out to the 12 tribes. I know, but everybody <laughs> still got it. 
<laughs> Everybody still got it. But it's interesting how you know Paul is much more broad in his his scope. I still prefer reading Paul over James. <laughs> While for those who are self-seeking, I, 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 for, but to those who are selfishly ambitious. This one says governed. I like that. Governed by selfish ambition. Governed by selfish ambition. Because you don't have to be knowingly selfish. Right. You're governed by something that is. You may not know that you're governed by it. But for, for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth, but wickedness. Remember the distinction in chapter 1 between verses 16 and 17. And then he shows the contrary in what follows, idolatry. And self-seeking is definitely a form of idolatry. Here we have that stated again. For while for those who are self-seeking, i.e. making themselves an idol, making themselves God, and who obey not the truth, i.e. the one who is righteous will live by faith. While for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth, but wickedness, he listed that wickedness at the end of chapter 1, there will be wrath and fury. Ugh. Doesn't that sound judgmental? It's definitely <laughs> judgmental. <laughs> but it's but after and after Don't having said what he said in verses one and two, to come back and say that makes you go, huh? But he's not saying that it's his duty and responsibility to determine who gets it. He's simply saying that's Jobs God. That's not Jobs God. Not Steve Jobs. No, that's God's job. Whoever you are. Orge is, is the Greek word for wrath, from which we get the word orgasm. Explosiveness. Kai thumos. Thumos, fury. Hmm. There will be anguish and distress. Yeah. Lipsis kai stin noxumria. Uh, King James has tribulation and anguish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The NEV says grinding misery. Ooh. Grinding <laughs> well, Thlipsis is, is tribulation. And disaster distress for everyone who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek <laughs> in other words the Jew first and also the Greek yeah God shows no partiality but my Lord God of mercy if you're a Jew you get it first exactly. <laughs> wham <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, you've had that covenant relationship. <laughs> Jesus was a Jew. Come on, folks. And, and as we find out here in chapter 2, he's now speaking. I mean, the Gentile Christians are sitting back in that church and listening. And some of them are going, <laughs> now later on they get smacked again. But, <laughs> but he's talking 
straight at the Jews. And what he is saying essentially is, you Jewish Christians, you Jews, Christian or otherwise, but primarily Jewish Christians, <laughs> you don't have any business judging because you're an idolater too. You're picking on them Gentiles, those Greeks, for having been idolaters or not Christians. You're an idolater too. You're doing it too. But glory and honor and peace. Hmm. Same use in, the, in verse 10, the same exact words as are found up here in verse 7. For those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor. Same two words found in verse 10, glory and honor. Doxa kai tima, honor. And peace here is added in. But glory and honor and arene, peace, for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Well, well if you're going to get smacked first, you might as well go ahead and get the, the glory and the honor and the peace first, too. See, that's where the no partiality is. <laughs> you get whacked first, you get glorified first. For God shows no partiality. <laughs> Yeah, essentially, the little, the short little thumbnail kind of sets it in its context. He begins by talking about, okay, and as we'll see in just a minute here, and well, we're not going to see it tonight, but as we'll see next week in just a minute, <laughs> um, uh, the references here to um, the Gentiles, the, the, the Greek Christians now, having come in, yet they had no excuse even before they were Christians. Jewish Christians, you have no excuse either. You're picking on them for being idolaters in their past and elements of it even today because they don't follow the traditions of Moses now. You're, you're an idolater yourself. So how dare you judge them? He's speaking directly here to that Jewish community can't judge them. You can't. Yes? <clears throat> Have you ever said that the Jews were released from all the laws? The Jews? Mm -hmm. Released from all the laws? When they became Christians. Uh, salvation is by grace through faith, not by keeping the law. And that's a statement that goes both directions. So all of a sudden, they were released from all... For the purpose of salvation. Okay. Jew, as Paul says, when he's with Jews, he'll be a Jew. With, when he's with Greeks, he'll be a Greek. As a cultural practice, it's fine to keep the dietary regulations. But how, as he said to Peter, how can you, being a Jew... Incapable though you are keeping the dietary regulations, demand that Gentiles who were never born to it and never raised to it, how dare how you demand that they keep the dietary regulations? When the brethren of James came in, <laughs> they're in Antioch, and they were having that great, wonderful covered dish dinner. And you know, you had Jews and you had Gentiles at the same table with all this unkosher food. And the brethren of James came in, and Peter gets up and gets away from the table so fast he knocks his chair over, you know. <laughs> And Paul says, hey, you ever got your ham and cheese sandwich here? <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's, that's essentially what he's saying. You Jewish Christian, you are to understand, you should understand, salvation is by grace through faith, not by keeping the law. The law, the dietary regulations, all that stuff is fine as cultural stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't save you. It's part of the schoolmaster. It shows us how much we need Christ, but it doesn't save us. And the cultural practices are okay so long as you're not depending upon them for salvation. Gentile Christians never had it to begin with. Never had the dietary regulations, didn't have the feast days, didn't have Sabbath day, didn't have any of that stuff. Therefore, you know, they don't have that in their cultural practices to mistake and say, well, by doing this, I'm a good Christian. No. And Jewish Christians were saying, okay, you got saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's good. You're in. Now, guess what? <laughs> Women, you got to start cushing, cooking kosher. Men, you got to give up something. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little, little skin, little blood. Don't hurt for very long. <laughs> Show me your faith. Right, literally. (laughs) (laughs) You women had it easy. (laughs) You women had it easy. Was Jesus quoted as saying, I came not to abolish the law? But to fulfill it. Exactly. Not abolishing them. Their laws were built on their religion. Everything in their culture was built on their religion. All of a sudden they... Let it go in terms of how they, as Pharisees, had been living it. The, I, the Pharisaic approach was, I keep the law in order to, to, well, to use the terminology in the New Testament. I keep the law to be saved. Possibly, I keep the law to show I'm a member of the covenant community. To maintain my status within the covenant community would be a truthful statement. Because if you didn't keep the law, you'd get tossed out. And they only kept the law, the part of the law that they defined as the law. That makes it worse. Not only, it's not just the law. They, didn't, they couldn't keep the whole law. They knew it. So they said, here's the things you got to keep. Here's our big whatever. Here's, here's the list of the approximations to the law of Moses that we say are important. The cafeteria plan. The cafeteria plan, exactly. And if you keep these things, you can be a member of the community. They had a similar kind of list of requirements for Gentile Christians. I mean, for Gentiles, period. A Gentile who lived amongst Jews had to do certain things and not do other things. Didn't make you a Jew. Guys, you weren't a Jew until you got circumcised. Until then, you could be a God-fearer. And the earliest Gentile converts to the Christian faith had all been God-fearers prior to becoming Christians. They were never let completely into the community because they were uncircumcised. Therefore, they could not be trusted. When Christianity comes along and says, you can be a full citizen of the kingdom of God without having to keep those laws, i.e. circumcision, all the dietary regulations, all the blood purity laws. The Pharisees were saying you had to keep the law, and it was our approximation of the law, in order to be a member of the community. And what Paul is saying and what Christianity is saying 
in Paul's interpretation of Christ and Christ's import for the Jews is no. Instead, the law shows us how much we need Jesus because we can't keep it. All we can do is an approximation, and even that approximation we can't keep. So instead of trying to live and abide by this law set of rules, which we fail at on multiple points, we live by faith in Jesus Christ. And that law, the law of Moses, shows us how much we fail and how much that's the only way. And then we live by faith in Jesus Christ. God's grace then moves into our lives and we discover that, that we are being transformed and more and more capable of living as God would have us live. Which amazingly and shocker shocks uh, conforms to many of the moral standards of the law. Oh, wow, imagine that. Gentile Christians who never had all of that baggage coming in. They had other baggage, but didn't have any of the Jewish baggage coming in. They were coming in, and the Jewish Christians were being scandalized. My God, goodness, I mean, here are these Gentiles. They eat pork. Their men aren't circumcised. They're wearing clothing of multiple threads. Their fields have different kinds of seeds in it. Their houses don't have battlements to keep people from rolling off the top. They don't have tassels on their clothing. Their hair, they, they mar the edges of the beards. They don't even have beards, for crying out loud. I mean, these people, the women in their menstrual cycle don't leave and go out and stay away from the men. They, they, they engage in all this stuff that is contrary to the law. Okay, we'll accept you in as a Christian... But now, to really be a good Christian, we're going to snip on you. I, either literally or metaphorically. And make you into a good Jew. And the, <coughs> the debate in the New Testament church was whether or not one had to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. And the initial agreement was no. But that didn't hold for all the brethren of the James. They, you know, okay, we'll let you in, but then surprise, surprise, we're going to have to finish the job. And Paul is saying, uh-uh, no, you, you don't have to go by all this other stuff. You live by grace through faith, the righteous will live by faith. And as he will say a little later on in verse 14, of chapter 2, when Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God through Jesus Christ will judge the secret thoughts of all. Well, let's go back and read those two verses before it. All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. There is no excuse for sin in whether or not you have the law. You, you fall short of God's glory, you fall short, period, end of line, whether or not you have the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Oops. If you want to live according to the law, fine. you got to keep it all. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight. Huh? Pharisees proclaimed it was the hearers of the law who, you know, they were the ones who were righteous in God's sight. They had the law. They knew the law. They were righteous. 
or should be, but the doers of the law. Aha! The doers of the law who will be justified. Yeah. It sounds like dang, man. In a sense, it does. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you do the law? With one difference, though. James thought you could do the law. By your own power, ability, and strength. Absolutely. Whereas he is saying, no. Saying, what if, is, if you could. If, if there's a person who could, yeah, that's what he's saying. <laughs> now, what is doing the law? What did Jesus say doing the law was? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. The rest is all commentary. And then look at verse 14, because this is what just blows you away. And it speaks to, at least in part, that, that concept that we were fighting with back in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, with regards to people who had never had the Torah and yet knew Yahweh, knew God, knew the Creator. When Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively, and that word has a real has a real problem in modern usage. Instinctively as something that's part of their nature is what we mean by instinctively. I would say internally. Yeah, do as motivated by something that is within them. And in the case of Gentile Christians, that's the Holy Spirit. God. When Gentiles who do not possess the law do by unction of the Holy Spirit what the law requires, these, though, that, though not having the law, are law to themselves. They show, and here's what it means. Here's, here's how you know what he means by that. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them. Hmm. On the day when, when, according to my gospel, God, through Jesus Christ, will judge the secret thoughts of all. Conflicting thoughts? Yeah. That's curious. Uh, NAS reads, In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. By them, what do they mean? Themselves. Themselves. Yeah, that's what hear, hear, this, hear this again. Their conscience-bearing witness, I think the NRSV is terribly translated, their conscience-bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Are they trying to do the right thing and they're not sure? Yeah, that's a closer translation to the original. How does the King James or New King Jimmy read there in verse 15? Their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. Mm. I don't between, like that. Between themselves. Yeah, I couldn't understand. I, I had trouble with that wording there too. It sounds as almost as if 
the law within, the Holy Spirit within them, is on the one hand, on the one hand, bearing witness, accusing or defending them. It's like the angel on his shoulder and the devil on his shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't eat the cake. Eat the cake. Eat the cake. Don't eat the cake. Eat the cake. Eat the cake. Yeah, exactly. It's okay. It's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. Greg's on a diet. Does everybody? How can you tell? That's 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 a little closer. We're going to come back and hit this again. But the point being is that within Gentiles who don't have the law, they nevertheless have. God's spirit within them, the law written on their hearts now, they are showing signs of transformation. God is working to transform them already so that they have that internal judgment already in place. Well, we all have a sense of right and wrong. Regardless of whether or not you're a Christian. And whether or not we follow it. That sense of right and wrong has been debated by theologians and philosophers for a long time is that the imago dei, the image of God in us that was left, the unmarred part that was left with following the fall. It's an interesting thought. It's an interesting idea. Calvinists would say that that doesn't even exist. The image of God was totally wiped out. It's not even an echo left. Pelagians would say it's still there in full force. All you have to do is follow the good example of Jesus and you'll be fine. Lots of liberal Christians say that too. Mm -hmm. Um, Arminians tend to say that that image of God is there as an echo prior to prevenient grace bringing it back into existence. And that tends to be my position. The image of God remained following the fall as an echo, i.e. the knowledge that there's something missing. There's a hole. <laughs> and then Christ on the cross brings grace to us before we do anything. It's the element of the cross that's universal. And it brings to us the ability then not just to recognize there's a hole, but to recognize there is indeed a remedy for the hole. In Jesus. And it's not generally what we all always try to we're plug the hole with. We're trying to plug the hole with mm-hmm. booze and women or men. Food, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Exactly. We try to plug that hole with all sorts of stuff. You know, I, I think the Calvinists are wrong. I think we know there's a hole. I think Scripture tells us that we know it, that we recognize that there is a hole there. And, but we didn't know what to do about it. And until, well, until God's revelation began to show us what to do about it, show us our need for grace, our inability to keep the law, try to plug it with the law. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> you're not going to manage it. And you mess up once and you're toast. And then Christ becomes the one who doesn't plug up the hole so much as comes and heals 
gives us a new heart, because that hole is essentially theologically the heart, and gives us a new heart. Any questions? Mm -hmm. There's turbulent times back in those period. <clears throat> I can see where rabbis might not want to go along with this. <laughs> no. <laughs> if they didn't believe he was the uh, rabbis, Jewish Christians, they're not gonna uh, they're not gonna like this at all. You know, the most amazing thing to me about Paul is he was before his conversion. The, in the thick of this, and he was the living, breathing <laughs> actions of what he's describing against. Why he knows it so testament well. to how you know the Holy Spirit will truly change a person. Paul was the preeminent persecutor of the church from the Jewish authority side. He knew. He, he, and he taught in, in, elsewhere in his letters, he says, you know, I have reason to boast. If they have reasons to boast about their background, their pedigree, and how they behaved and kept the law, I got more. I got more reasons to boast. I, according to the law, according to the, the way in which they viewed the law, I was perfect. Wow. Nobody ever disputed that. You didn't hear it. <laughs> Perfect, and I, you know, and and probably according to their thumbnail sketch of what you had to do and believe and act, he probably was, you know, from the point where he learned it, probably did behave uh, perfectly according to those standards. But then he came to realize those standards are insufficient. It's forgetting all sorts of other stuff in the law, and the attitude reflected there is in and of itself a failure. It's called boasting and self-seeking and self-interest. It's making yourself an idol. It's making an idol out of that distilled list of what's important in the quote-unquote law. Paul came from that setting. Jesus knocked him off of his ass and onto it, so to speak, and showed him that that was wrong. And he became the preeminent proclaimer of the gospel Salvation by grace through faith, and took it to the Gentiles, to a people who were outside the law. Persecuting mostly Jewish Christians for proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, he then turns and takes that Messiah and the message of that Messiah to people who have never heard the law of Moses, to Gentiles, to people who deride the law of Moses if they've heard of it. And proclaims it to the end of the world or wants to go, you know, on to Spain, England, wherever. Um, he, he's an amazing person. It's one of the reasons why I love what he has to say, even when I'm struggling with it. Paul, you could have chosen a better way of saying that. It's like in Philippians when he says, uh, uh, do not worry about anything. Damn it, Paul, now I want to worry. <laughs> I'm worried that I'm worrying too much. I'm yeah. Worrying too much. That's what I said on Sunday in my sermon. Oh, now I'm going to start worrying. You know, I wasn't worried before, Paul, but now I'm going to start worrying about worrying. I mean, he'll do that. And here we got an example of him saying something that we know he doesn't mean it the way it's written here. For he know that as he was dictating it, he was assuming. That's always dangerous. He was assuming a whole lot of stuff. 
He should have thought for a minute, now wait a minute, do these people know me? <laughs> no. <laughs> so he has to follow it up with a lot more material, which does explain a large percentage of it. Wouldn't it be interesting if he, if he thought, man, these things I'm penning and dictating are going to be the basis of the Christian, if he would have reworded no some of the clue. things and done, you know, a little bit differently. I mean, I'm he sure thought, he never thought about he that. He thought Jesus was coming next Tuesday. Jesus was going to straighten yeah. all that out. What the heck is he worried about? Yeah. He may not, this letter, this letter may not make it to Rome, for exactly. crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, come on. He didn't expect a New Testament to be formed or his letters to be collected. I was, didn't even think about that at all. Had he thought, it's a good question, had he thought about that, would he have written something differently, dictated it differently, said a few more things? I would have loved it. Said a few more things. Yeah, <laughs> said a few more things on Named this a subject. Few more names. Yeah. <laughs> been a little more explicit about a couple of things. Would have been nice, Paul. been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2008 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.